This is Beyond Riel, a UMFM limited series that delves into the history, culture, and challenges facing minority Francophone community in Canada. My name is André Marcheldon. And I am Ian T.D. Thompson. We are excited that you have tuned in as we explore la francophonie in Canada. This series is sponsored by La Société de la Francophonie Manitobaine, the advocate for the Franco-Manitobaine community. This project is also supported by a Taking a Global grant with support from the Canada Service Corps and the Government of Canada. Welcome back for part two of the history of French in Manitoba. In your previous episode, we highlighted the decisive role Louis Riel and the Métis played in enshrining French and English rights in Manitoba's constitution. Today, we explore the French linguistic crisis in the 1980s and how this tumultuous period has shaped French rights in Manitoba today. The historian Jacqueline Blais is back with us once again. In case you missed the last episode, here is her bio. Jacqueline Blais, who previously lived in Algeria, France, and Spain, immigrated to Canada in the mid-60s and studied Canadian and Manitoban history. As a reporter for Radio Canada, she covered these important files and wrote several books on the history of Francophones in Manitoba. Jacqueline previously served as president of the SFM, who has represented French-speaking Manitobans since 1968. During the first half of our discussion, you previously explained how French rights were not always respected in Manitoba. Can you share with our listeners what was the linguistic crisis, la crise linguistique of the 1980s, and its importance to have French rights respected and recognized once again in Manitoba? Okay, 1976, when a man named Georges Forêt comes on the scene, he's a métis, he's an insurance agent, and he gets a unilingual parking ticket. In fact, it's his daughter who gets it, but we're not going to quibble that one. And he's very happy his daughter gets a ticket. He says, I'm going to fight it. It's only in English only. And he starts his quest. And the quest is going to last three years. And basically, he goes to county court, which doesn't exist anymore, which is now where the Festival du Voyageur buildings are. And Judge Armand Duraud says, hey, the province did not have the right to do that. And let the sky fall on me if I'm wrong. He knows exactly what he's doing. Because by saying... The government did not have the right to do that. Everything that was done between 1890 and 1976 is anti-constitutional. The laws do not apply. It's chaos. They know that. And the laws don't apply because they're only written in English, not in French, right? Exactly. So Ferret is kind of, what do we do with this? His lawyer, they both are Métis. It's very important to know that. Uh, both of them are, what do we do with this? And basically, they go, well, we're going to go to the next step and next step. Next steps are Queen Bench and then Court of Appeal. They get pushed back. The government of Ed Schreier says they would not appeal. and They will not recognize the decision. And I remember as a reporter asking Mr. Schreier and his attorney general, why not? And I don't get a proper answer. All I get is I really don't like this, especially Mr. Howard Polly. I don't like what it means. He was a bit of a prophetic because... He's going to be the premier in a few years, and he's going to have to deal with that file. So Georges Forêt wins in the Court of Appeal, unanimous, and the judges throw the book at the province and say, you better recognize this. And the province, no, doesn't want to. In comes the federal government, Mr. Trudeau, says, Mr. Forêt has a very legitimate case. We don't know how many of those cases are at the level of other provinces, but we're going to help him financially. And suddenly... There's this influx of money, resources, and also a case in Quebec. 1979, Georges Ferré wins. The government of Joe Clark 
falls the same night and Trudeau is reelected. And what do we do? Do we pursue this or not? And a group of lawyers in uh, Manitoba knew that, yes, Georges Ferré won. What did he win? He won that the government did not have the right to do what it did. But how do you apply that? What does it mean for all the laws that were passed since 1982? And there's a, this young man named Roger Bilodeau and his prof, Von Baird. Both of them know that the next step is to go all the way again. For that, you need a tool, you need an instrument of, and they get a ticket, a speeding ticket. On purpose, right? On purpose, yes. They're so happy. And they both told me that. They are so happy. They get a ticket and uh, because they both live in St. Agathe. And they get this ticket and they go and see the government of Howard Pauley, who didn't like the story in 1979. He likes it even less in 1982. And they go to see the attorney general of the time, Roland Penner. Roland Penner is from a minority background. Russian, Jewish, and he is extremely aware and acutely aware that things were done and things have to be corrected. And he says, we have to do the right thing, which is give services to francophones, not go to the court and see how you're going to apply this, blah, 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 blah. So they have a French language services policy that's given to the SFM in 1982. But in background, we still know that there's this case of Roger Bilodeau. It's a really, it's a bomb in the sense that if Roger Bilodeau wins, everything that's been passed since 1890 is anti-constitutional, which means marriages, death, buying your business, anything that goes through the courts or goes through the law is illegal. Every single law that had passed from when Manitoba became a province that was not bilingual until that point in the 1980s would be anti-constitutional and could not be applied. And remember, you have to obey the law. So everything you do is according to the law. So everything that's been done is illegal. This is when Sterling Langen, the opposition, and Howard Pauley, they go, well, this is going to be legislative chaos. And Penner said, yeah, well, it is. But maybe if you help us, maybe we don't have to go through chaos. No, it won't happen like that. Sterling Langen said, ah, forget it. He's going to have an incredible opposition. This is what we call the language crisis of the 80s, because Roger Bilodeau is a very tempered man, mild manner man, and so is his lawyer. And they are kind of forced to go to Supreme Court of Canada. And in between, in the meantime, Trudeau tries to have uh, some uh, agreements, but it doesn't work. So between one thing and another, we have 18 months of basically a lot of tensions. You have graffitis in St. Boniface, no more French. You have somebody who erases the no, becomes more French. In a sense, you have these two parts. And the offices of the SFM have burned down. It is arson. Fortunately, nobody was there. They lose part of the archives. Eventually, the courts give a decision. The laws are anti-constitutional. But from that, it doesn't mean that a bilingual law provides bilingual services. This is a split. Roger always told me, and so did Von Baer, that they expected that. They expected that ruling. So what do you do? You have laws that have to be translated. In a rush, everybody goes to the SFM. Everybody agrees there's 500 laws that have to be translated in the Russian. You have five years to do that. It's an agreement, not a problem. And then you have to figure out what kind of services you're going to give. And that is also when uh, the government gives the French language services policy, the first one. And that is between the hands of the conservatives, uh, Mr. Gary Filman. And I go, Mr. Gary Filman, because 
Mr. Philman is the one, despite the fact that he was the successor of Sterling Lyon, he was the one who resolved the two biggest issues faced by the Francophone Committee at the time, and it stopped the growth of the community, that is the DSFM and the French language services policy. He gave the, the kickstart, he gave the province the tools to figure out how we're going to do this. This is how the language crisis came about. It was a rough time. We lost, and when I say we, I talk about in terms of public servants, a lot of public servants were targeted at work because they were francophones and did not want to know anything about it. It was a very difficult time for some people, and for others it was, well, it is what it is. So this is the story. Yeah, definitely a very monumental time in the province's history when it comes to linguistic rights and still has impacts now. So I was wondering, what are the lingering impacts of that and the legacy of that linguistic crisis in the 1980s in terms of French rights and protection of those French rights today in the province of Manitoba? Well, again, the French language services policy was a very good tool to start giving services in French. However, there were some flaws in the policy. Uh, one of them being that, you know, you have to have designated offices for governments, but the designated offices quite often were not in designated areas. This is a legacy of the Federal Language Act where you have to have designated areas where you have people where numbers weren't, just like in 1896, where numbers weren't, you have, you're entitled to have services, some services or not. And for example, um, head offices were, let's say, located in Steinbach. So people from La Brocrie had to drive to Steinbach to get their services. Employees working in Steinbach were francophones, if you answer value services, and say, they said, we don't have French schools. We don't want to move there. This, this is nonsense. So eventually there was um, enough complaints that the Philman government asked Judge Richard Chartier to write a report and assess the situation and give recommendations. What are the best common sense solution to that? And Georges Chartier came up with a solution of bilingual services centers where they should be. In other words, we're in designated areas. And those bilingual services centers would have, under the same roof, municipal, provincial, and federal government services. That was new. This is unique in Canada. And uh, there's one in Saint-Anne, Saint-Pierre, uh, Saint-Norbert, two in the city, and one in Saint-Laurent. And each employees have the right to speak Mitre if they want to. They're entitled to that. And the Salinger government, when the central government came to power, put a law of the Bilingual Services Centers Act, which says we can have more of those centers if there is a growth in population. So let's say, for example, my favorite uh, beef is that in St. James, there's so many francophones and there is no bilingual services. So why not have one? There's the base, there's the school, there's this, there's that. So basically the, the Bilingual Services Centers Act helps promote and solidify French language services. But the Francophones have always asked for an act that protects services. So the last days of the, the during the last days of the Salinger government, he put together what's called Bill 6, protection of the and the growth of the Francophone community. And of course, the opposition said no, but Salinger expected that. And during the very first days of the Pallister government, the minister who was chosen to be French language services minister, Madame Rochelle Squires, was killed in the media because she didn't speak French. And at the time, I was president of the SFM. And I went to her and I said, it doesn't matter to me. Are you in favor of something called Bill 6? So she looked at it 
And we suggested a couple of changes and it became Bill 5. And within two months, Bill 5 was accepted. And what does Bill 5 do is defines what active offer means in the law and also gives the only definition that exists in Canada of what is and who is a Francophone. And a Francophone is not only somebody who's born in a Francophone family. It's somebody who comes from, let's say, Africa and speaks French, even though at home, it's another language. Uh, it's somebody who's learned French at school in immersion. And that is a unique definition that is accepted by all Francophones. And we are hoping, and I have still to see what it means, we're hoping that the federal government is going to accept that kind of definition also. Because what it does, it says that you're a Francophone, but you're also somebody who has a different background and not because you're just born here in a French Canadian family. This is where we are at. We have Bill 6, and I'm hopeful that we are going to have progress and growth. Jacqueline, we've been talking a lot about history, and, and I appreciate you bringing up your thoughts there about prosperity of Francophone rights. And I guess kind of keeping in with that line of thought moving forward, your, your evaluation of present day, are Francophone rights respected nowadays? Oh, I think they are. Sometimes rights are not respected in hard times. And it happened during the pandemic at the federal and provincial levels. We will not get the information in French at the same time as in English. But by large, by large, they are respected. We have the schools, we have the services. When I went for my second shot, I had my form in French only. They looked at it and they said, oh, surprise. I said, yeah, should have been bilingual form. But anyways, surprise. Uh, but nobody said you can't have it. Or nobody uh, was you know, having a fit. In other words, it's become mainstream and a lot of parents uh, want their kids to speak French. They understand that it is an asset. And uh, I think Canada is the only country I know that thinks that having a second language is really terrible. But this this is changing. When you see um, the ministers at the federal level who are probably second generation Canadians, they all speak French. So that should be an example. Here in Manitoba, you have more and more people who speak French and politicians also. And I think it's very important to say that it is part of the fabric of Manitoba. I don't think we could go back and reverse the, the trend. I think I would be very surprised. That's really helpful to characterize. And it's, it's very interesting, you know, as you said, you know, middle of this pandemic, you know, this, is, uh, this has been the evolution of Francophone rights, of French language rights. Insofar as this large history, this comprehensive history you've described us, the, the challenges of French communities with Louis Riel, do you have any sort of concluding thoughts on, on the history of, of, of French in Manitoba? Yes, I think, first of all, the Francophone community is composed of a lot of people, but one group needs to come more to the front, and that is the, uh, the Métis community. It should be recognized way more. And they are, the Francophone Métis, I'm not talking about the Manitoba Métis Federation, it's two different bodies. The Union Nationale Métis Saint-Joseph-du-Manitoba is the oldest, oldest Francophone organization in Manitoba. It was established just before Luriel was hanged. So there is no other comparison. I think the Métis should take the room that they need to take and they are entitled to. And I also think that we should be, as Francophones, we should be more open to immigrants. We are, it's important, but it's not enough. And we have to understand that we will be, as strong as we can, 
once we understand the differences between each other. And I think that's going to happen through the school system. As long as the kids who are in school can be themselves, even though they're different, we will have a very different Manitoba, uh, Francophone Manitoba, French Manitoba, whatever you want to call it, very soon. I think even the um, pandemic, at the end of the pandemic, we will see a difference in the community. People are getting old. There's some part of generation of baby boomers that after the pandemic will say, well, I don't need to be involved anymore. We have the new generation coming up and they're going to take control of the leadership. And I think it's very good if it happens. And I think also that then there's an issue that we've been talking during the whole time of the pandemic. The racism issue will be dealt with. There are There is some issues in the Francophone community, the two groups that are really working hard to resolve those issues. And I hope they succeed because they have a lot of allies in the community. So we called on those immigrants. We said from the beginning, we wanted to have immigrants to have more Francophones. Now we have to make room for them. That's just token. So the future of French is okay. It could be a bit rock and roll at some point. Jacqueline, this has been fantastic. Thanks a lot for coming on the show and kind of just really going over the history of Manitoba and giving our listeners a really good understanding of the fact that Manitoba has a, a rich and long history of having French here. And maybe if people, you know, people uh, read French, they can read my books and understand. <laughs> There's three, four of them, five of them, but yeah, you can find them on Amazon or you can find them on the uh, Uh, the publishing houses that are here in Winnipeg. We learned over the last two episodes that Manitoba's French history dates back to at least 1738. We have Louis Riel and the Métis to thank for ensuring French and English rights were enshrined in Manitoba's constitution. While these French rights were not always respected, they are today. French schools in Manitoba are operated by a French school division, and there are also immersion schools, allowing non-Francophones to also get a French education. Thank you for listening to Beyond Riel. Join us on our next episode, where we explore culture in Francophone communities in Manitoba and across the country. Executive producers and hosts are André Mathieu-Don and Ian T.D. Thompson. Technical producer is Frédéric Demers, and consulting producer is Gabrielle Tuga. The music you hear on Beyond Riel is by Rayana. To hear more of her music, visit rayana.com. That's R-A-Y-A-N-N-A-H.com. Beyond Real is a UMFM 101.5 limited series broadcasted out of the University of Manitoba. For more information on the series, visit umfm.com.